This is episode 168 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to Men's Roundup 2016 with Gus Bess. This is session one, Friday night. Good evening, men of God. Let's try it again. Good evening, men of God. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm a... I want to let you know that uh, I'm a reprobate that if God was just just, I ought to go to hell. I got to tell you a little bit of a story about my life. I was not raised in Christianity. Um, I was raised as an American. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now, because I'm older than some of you, uh, when I was in public school as an American, they said the Pledge of Allegiance. Okay. Not only that, they opened up every school day with prayer. So I naturally believed that there was a God. And the reason I believe there was a God, it's on our money. <laughs> it says, in God we trust. And so I believed that, but I didn't know him, and I didn't know what to do with him. Uh, I was born in California. I was uh, in 1947. My mother and father, they had a dump truck, and a 47-knucklehead Harley-Davidson. And my mom was ready to deliver me, and she said, I am not going to the hospital in a dump truck. (laughs) I was born. They cleaned me up. A couple days later, we're going home, and she said, we are not taking our son home in a dump truck. And so I went home on a 47-knucklehead. And uh, I've been on those bikes all my life, and uh, if, if you haven't, if you're not Harley people, I'm going to pray for you tonight. <laughs> also for you Marines, I, I joined the United States Marine Corps. hoo Let's try that again, Marines. hoo Yeah, now we're going to practice that in a minute, because all of you wish you were Marines. And uh, the Word of God, we're going to talk about the Word of God. We're going to look into this and this eternal breath. I've got to tell you that uh, when I was 12 or 13 years old, I was born in California, but when I was 8, we moved to Hawaii. And so I was raised in Hawaii, uh, didn't have to wear shoes to school until the 7th grade. First time I put them on, I thought I was being strangled. If you'll see me around here, I'm usually wearing what I call go-aheads. You might call them flip-flops. But I looked at it, and I didn't like the shoes. And when I was about 12 or 13, though, God was doing something in me. I was sitting on a pillbox over Lonnie Kai, and I was talking to this God uh, who's over our country. And I said, now, you know, God, I, two things I'm coming up with you I want to talk to you about. Number one, I think I've discovered your favorite colors. Now, remember, I'm 12 years old. And I said, I think you're really into blue and green. Everything I saw was blue and green. And then the other thing I said to him, I don't know where it came from, but I said, except I not look probably the Holy Spirit touching me right then and there, never been in church in my life, and I said, if you would have asked me to help you create the fish of the sea, I don't think I could have come up with as many ideas as you did. (laughs) So I went home and I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what are churches? He said, well, son, they're like the Kiwana Club and the Rotary. He said they do a lot of good things, got good people go there, but you can never go unless you're asked by a member. Apparently, I wasn't what they were looking for. <laughs> but I went through my life and started going down the journey. And I want to tell you, it's a two-step process, so we're here for a few days, and I'll tell you the, how the whole thing worked. 
I graduated from high school, went out through a bit my bedroom window with a suitcase to leave home. It was kind of a rough area. My dad was a former Marine, seven Purple Hearts, Carlson's Raiders. I loved my dad, but he was slightly ever so rough. And uh, taught me a lot about shooting. I, I was in recon, a lot of combat. I was also the sniper. I went to sniper school for our team. And I did all of that. But before those days would come, I would end up in a place called Rogue River, Oregon. Uh, some friends of mine said they had a dad that lived up there. And I said, let's go, sure. And I got up there, and it couldn't have been any better for me. In those days, we built our own cars. We did. Remember when you used to get and actually could see the engine and, you know, work on it and everything? We did all of that. Had auto shop and, and uh, got up there, and his dad, either franchised or something, managed or owned a Chevron station in Rogue River, and I thought, I'm in heaven. Coming out of Southern California, I'd never, I was back in California again. I'd never seen country like that, and uh, I just couldn't believe it. I'm in a place like this. And in a Chevron station, can I help pump gas? Remember when they used to do that? Some of you don't remember that, but they used to actually service you. And we were doing that, and along came a logger, and he said to me, hey, would you like to go logging with me? I said, sure, I'd like to go logging with you. Yeah, that'd be great. What what does that mean? He says, we're going to drop some trees. And then, uh, you ever drive a D8 cat? I said, no. Now imagine, you're 17 years old. You know the sound of those trees going down? It's an adrenaline rush. Okay, the earth shakes. We put a chain around those things. I get the D8 cat, and I'm dragging those things out of there, and I have gone to heaven. I know what heaven is at this moment. <laughs> All day long we're there, and this man, I, he gets really excited. I, he, he came from, I didn't know what it was, and I've never been in church. He came from a conservative Baptist church in Rogue River, Oregon. I have no idea what that meant, Okay. <laughs> I think some of you are like that, aren't you? You're somewhere near that, okay? Well, he, at the end of the day, he said, hey, Gus. And he says, Gus. I said, yeah. He says, would you like to go with church to me tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, woo! Yeah, are you kidding? You're inviting me to church? He had the most confused look on his face. <laughs> he knew I was a reprobate, but I got so stinging excited. I've been waiting my whole life. So he says something to me. Now, you have to understand, when you've never been in church, your language is way weird to us, okay, way weird. I mean, at least I had some clear adjectives that when I spoke, you understood what I was saying. <laughs> when you speak, I couldn't understand anything. And he said, are you, he said, do you believe in the Lord? And I said, do I, be- what? You mean, do I believe in God? I said, well, of course I do. I'm an American. I wasn't born in Africa. Then he goes over the plateau and he does it this way. He said, well, what, have you been saved? Now, that was like an airplane flying over the top of my head. I said, have I been saved? Yeah, have you been saved? Well, yes, I have. When I, I grew up in Hawaii, and I was body surfing in Makapu. <laughs> and I got caught. If you've ever been to Makapu, Rabbit Island's out there. Makapu, you know where that lighthouse on the corner? Oh, you, then you guys will know what I'm talking about. I got caught. In, I was body surfing. I got caught in an undertow. And I knew if you ever got caught in those things, I was always in the water. You know, I could hold my breath and do all this stuff. But you got to let it go. You got to let it take you. Don't fight it. So I did. And it dragged me out. Three, they estimate about 300 yards out into the ocean. I was underwater. They estimate about two and a half minutes. But I could hold my breath for two minutes and 36 seconds. <laughs> 
I popped up in the ocean, almost out to the lighthouse. Man, I was way out there. My uncle saw me. He saw this little head, and he came and got me. So I looked at this log, and I said, yes, I have been saved. <laughs> well, he took me to church that first time, and I don't remember all of the things that that man said, but I went back to Kurt Sr.'s house where we were staying. The, he was a deacon. I didn't know what that meant. What in the world is a deacon? It, it just seemed like an odd term for anything. And I... I started asking questions about God and things, and he threw me, he said, hey, you need to read the Gospel of John. He gave me the Gospel of John. I opened that thing up, it was in King James, I don't know, that was like the, I mean, that was like, I don't know what it was. I read about three or four of those verses, and I put that thing down. I went back the next week, they asked me to go back the next week, and I went, and on the next, that night, I was asking Kurt Sr. this question. I was asking him all these questions about God, and he answered them. And then I said, this is the la- I don't remember the questions. I only remember the last one I ever asked him. He's with the Lord today. But I asked him, I said, where did God come from? And he said, oh, that's easy. That's very easy. But that's not what you want to know. That's not the question you want to ask. You want to ask how to know him. And when he said that, he had about 20, 30 people in his room. And, all- and everyone went silent. You Baptists just do this. You know, you like this evangelism thing. <laughs> you just went silent. And I'm standing there thinking, man, I want out of here. His son, who was two and a half years older than me, grabbed me on the shoulder and said, you want to go in the bed? We went in the bedroom. And when I went in that bedroom, I'm sitting on this bed, and he he said, uh, well, do you want to be saved? And And I said, I don't know if I want to do this or not. I'm starting to feel real nervous here. I don't know what's going down here. But I'm starting to feel nervous, and I normally don't get nervous. And I said, if I wanted to know the Lord, what do I have to do? What do I need to do? He said, nothing. You just pray. And I said, well, then I can't know the Lord. He said, what do you mean you can't know the Lord? I said, well, I've never prayed in my life. I don't know how you guys pray. I don't know what that is. And he t- taught me a great lesson. He said, that's just a religious term for talk. Oh, I was always fairly good with that. <laughs> so you understand. And I went to a window. I, the only thing I knew to do was what I'd seen in the movies. I grew up in the 50s and the early 60s. And in the movies, every time someone prayed to God, they knelt down. And every time they knelt down, they put their hands like this. So I went to that b- window in the bedroom. They had a windowsill, and I put my elbows on it, and I went put my hands like this. And then all of a sudden, I just felt so stupid. So I turned back to Kirk Jr., and I said, do you think he would mind if I held my hands like this? Because I feel stupid. Like, he says, you're allowed to hold your hands like this. <laughs> so, so I held my hands like this, and here's what happened to me. This is the beginning of the change of my life. I thought, well, first time I'm going to really talk to God, so I better look up, you know, into heaven. So I look up, and all of a sudden I hear a voice. And the voice says to me, kindly, not condemning, just a voice. Just a, he just said, who are you to look into the face of God? If you don't think that was shocking, I bowed way down, left my arms up on the windowsill, and I bowed way down. And what I said was basically this. No one told me about Romans Road or anything like that. I didn't know what that was. No one told me about John 3.16. Didn't know what that was. I simply said, I am here because I want to know you. I'm not here to go to heaven I'm not here to be saved. I'm not here to be forgiven, unless that's important to you. I found out it was important to me. (laughs) I said, I'm here because I want to know you. 
And when this is over, whatever this is, I meant life, I want to go, be wherever you are, and with my own eyes, I want to look upon you. And with that, I'm in a Baptist group of people, okay? And with that, there was a sound of a lo- rushing wind out of heaven. It sounded like it was coming through a tunnel. Real loud wind hit me on the top of the head, went through me right out my feet. Scared the whooping weebie-jeebies out of me. I burst into joy, unbelievable, with tears of joy. I turned around at Kirk Jr. sitting on the bed, and he's sitting there with this look like, and I said, what was that? And he said, I don't have a clue. (laughs) And I told him, you should have told me that was going to happen. That scared the whooping weebie-jeebies out of me. The reason I'm telling you this, I'll tell you other stories along the journey, that's what God started in my life. I did grab that. I went out, and all these typical Baptists were out there waiting for me to come out of the bedroom. And I came out, and I said, man, I know the Lord. And I walked to Kirk Sr. I said, what do I do next? He said, you read the Gospel of John three times as fast as you can. <laughs> and I did. I read it. We had dune buggies. We were boats. We had a little trolling boat. Uh, a mo- we brought up a boat to troll with on the, on the Rogue River. It was a 427. And... Um, <laughs> You know, and, and so inboard, and I, I used to tell them, you know, when we troll for fish, if, they, if we nail them, we're going to rip their lips off, you know. <laughs> but we did all, and every day the guys went, are you going? I said, no, I got to read the Gospel of John. I got to read the Gospel of John. So I read it every day for three days. And that's how I stayed the rest of my life. I didn't go back to church. I came back home, and I didn't go to church. Why? You have to be asked. Nobody told me. And I'll tell you other stories along the journey, but the reason I tell you this is, we're going to be studying here. This is about prayer. It's not really about prayer. It is, but it's the prayer of a righteous man. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful. The prayer of a righteous man is effective. And too many of men of God, they hardly believe they're men of God. They're struggling over righteousness. They're struggling over who they are. They're struggling over even God's Word. They think, well, if I just read a little more, if I just prayed a little more, but they don't know what to pray. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle themselves. So I want to take us on an adventure these next couple of days. I want you to to walk into the holiness of the presence of God. I want you to be able to experience His presence. I want you to be able to leave here so transformed that you will never be returning to your former sins. I want you to understand there is a power in Jesus Christ overwhelming. When you leave this room, I, I went with another group of men one time and I told them, you are holy men of God. You'll get that on Sunday, Lord willing, if we're still alive. We may wake up dead and then we're gone. But I said, if if we're still alive here Sunday, we're going to talk about the holiness of who you are and the holiness of God. And I said, you are not just men of God. You are holy men of God because of Christ Jesus. All right? So I want to give you something about the Word of God. I want you to understand the preciousness of what. What does the Word of God say about itself? And it's one of my favorites. Now, remember, the prayer of what is is powerful and effective? The prayer of a righteous who? Righteous man you got to know you're a righteous man. You can't be wondering. You can't earn it. You can't make it. You can't grunt yourself into righteousness. You're going to have to receive it. You're going to have to let it happen, and by faith, you know it right well. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. That's what the Word of God is about. Paul would tell you this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
Well, why aren't you ashamed? For in the gospel, a righteousness is revealed. A righteousness that is from first, by, from first, the very first to last, by faith. It's going to be important. We're going to have to understand this. We've got to be men that have received the breath of God. His breath became my breath on that day. His breath, his word became my word. And I am being transformed by the renewing of it. And I've, you have to understand how important, if, if the word of God describes itself as all scripture is God, breathe. How important is the breath? You go back into Adam, you go into Eve, they were created, it's all, everything is good, it's, everything is perfect. He's laying on there perfect, but he's not alive. And God humbles himself and comes down and goes, he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Without the breath of God, we don't function. And Job would write this in Job 34. He would tell you this. If, if it were his intention, God, if it were his intention, and he withdrew his spirit and his breath, all mankind would perish. Think of this. We'd just be gone. If all of a sudden the Lord said, enough! <laughs> and quicker than we can blink, we would be gone if he withdrew his breath. So it's important that when you think of the scriptures, I have on my Bibles, I put the Word of God on them a long time ago because when I, when, you have to understand, sometimes when you've never been raised in Christianity like I was not raised, and people ask, they would ask me, do you have a Bible? I said, well, of course I have a Bible. I mean, I have a rifle Bible, I have a pistol Bible, I have a reloading Bible. I mean, what do you think I am? I mean, I'm an all-American dude. I shoot and kill everything. <laughs> you know, I load everything. I, I, I was telling Dave Peck today, I said, when I used to have 30,000 rounds of ammunition in my garage, and I used to tell my, which I had reloaded, and I used to tell my, my fireman buddies, hey, if my, my garage ever catches fire, just get back. <laughs> okay, let it go. See, we have a question we've got to ask. In the Word of God, what does the Word of God say happens to a man who has received the Word of God? And what do we know about the Word of God? The Word of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When you've received it, what begins to happen to that man? The Word of God declares, therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, what are they? A new creation. A new creation. The old is past. The new has come. And all of this is from God. Somewhere we've got to know who we are. It's a horrible thing when you're struggling with you. It's a horrible thing to know. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? None. Zero. Zilch. I haven't had any in over 40 years. I haven't had anxiety. I haven't had stress. Why? Because God breathed into me, and I took by faith. He said there's no condemnation. Then guess what? Repentance isn't condemnation. You can't repent with condemnation. It is an impossible thing to do. Why? It is the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. The Lord came to save. He said, I sent my son in the world to save you, not to condemn you. And when you have no condemnation, you can't give any condemnation. You can't give what you don't have. And how many of us in the room are suffering? <coughs> from our own condemnation. We, we're unsure of what we are. I think of the beauty of, if, if I have no condemnation, if I'm a new creation, why am I a new creation? Because of righteousness. The Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 
God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin. He didn't make him dabble in sin. He said, I made my son sin. I made him sin because I love you so much, Gus. I have never come to condemn you. I've come to condemn sin. I said, how in the world did you destroy sin without destroying me? How did you do that? I was born in sin. I cultivated a sin nature. (coughs) Excuse me. And yet, you did it. You took it away. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. Men of God, you've got to know who you are tonight. When you go back to your camps or your rooms or wherever you go, discuss over this righteousness. We're going to talk about what is it, who is it, how do you get it. You know, our text, I think of this. Paul, Paul would declare to you and I in Romans about the righteousness of God over and over again. In fact, by the time he gets to seven, he's talking about, I've asked myself at times, who's going to rescue the wretched man that I am? You can't believe how many times I have said, I won't do it, and then I do it again. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I'm, I just, everything's a mess. And then he declares, thanks be to God and Jesus Christ. This is what we are. This is who we are. So I want to give you something about righteousness. I've got to, it's about the kingdom of God. I've got to talk. We're singing about his kingdom. We talk about his kingdom. We, we talk about his love. We talk about these things. But the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in Romans 14, 17, 18. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. They're talking about People got concerned about what you should eat, what you should drink. You shouldn't drink wine. You should drink wine. You shouldn't drink. I live in a place that has 90, 90 wineries around my home. Of course we drink wine. See how silent you Baptists just got? <laughs> I called my wife on FaceTime tonight. She's over with our friends, and she said, Honey, I said, Hun, I want you to pray. These are men coming. We don't need a conference. We need God. And she lifts her glass of wine and says, honey, be assured, we're praying. <laughs> I said, thank you. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this. This righteousness, what is it? What does it produce? It produces peace. What is peace in the Word of God? And what is this joy? And our joy, when joy is lacking in the Holy Spirit in a man, you know he does not have peace. Because if he knew what peace was and he was experiencing it by faith, you can't contain the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah would remind them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Be not afraid. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I think of this, to understand the prayer of a righteous man. To understand the prayer of a righteous man. How many, you know, you think, a prayer of a righteous man. I deal with men all the time. Put your hand on that man. You do understand when you put your hand on that man and you pray, it is done? Do you know that? Do you know the righteous man who delights in the Lord? Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and I will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because you're delighting. When you're delighting in the Lord, he gives you desires that are eternal. So we think, to understand this prayer of a righteous man and the effect, how effective it is, we have to know, we have to know what is Righteousness. I mean, what is it? It's a term we use all the time, but what is it? And do we actually believe as individual men? <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry, I got a tickle in my throat. Do we, have we become the righteousness of God? Would our wives and our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren declare, yes, we have become, my husband is the righteousness of God. I've seen it in him. Hey, thanks a lot. Thank you. So I want to read something. I, 
It was something that took place in my life a long time ago. Faith is everything. Without faith, faith is, it is certain, it's sure, it's hopeful. Romans 14, 23 says that everything that is not of faith is sin. Listen to that, men of God. Romans 14, 23, everything that is not of faith is sin. When I was a young man, I was starting the ministry around 28, 29 years old. And that's another long story I'll tell you sometime. But I, I went in and I read that and I thought, Father, I think I can even do the ministry in sin. I'm not sure what faith is. I know it's to believe you. But what do you mean everything that is not done by faith is sin? I began to look at this. And then he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he exists and he's the rewarders of those who earnestly seek him. Faith is always seeking God. Faith is to make him known. Faith is if I take a drink of water, which I do for the glory of God. Take an airplane ride for the glory of God. Come up here for the glory of God. Faith is that. So I began looking at this and I thought, okay. I asked, help me. And I read a book by A.T. Pearson called George Mueller of Bristol. And in that book, I discovered a man who believed God for everything and anything. He would say a prayer and thank God for the bounty on the table, and there was nothing on the table, absolutely nothing. And then there would be a knock at the door. He would be going to, a, to Canada on a steamship when they didn't have any radar. He had to get there to speak, and the captain says, we're not going to be able to get you there. We can't get to the coast. Why? Because it's fogged in. We can't get there. So he goes up with him, and he says, it's fogged in. You can't, we can't get He says, well, I've got to be at this speaking engagement. So this is what he says. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. He simply said a prayer, and it went like this. Father, thank you for removing the fog in Jesus' name. The captain started to pray, and George Mueller put his hand on him and said, please don't, you don't believe what you're saying anyway. <laughs> and he said, it's already accomplished. The captain in his diary said he opened the door and the fog was gone. <laughs> he said it actually brought fear to him, the prayer of a righteous man. Men of God, you were called here this weekend because God is anointed and he has divinely planned that every one of you are to be righteous men. You're going to be used to change the nation, to shake the gates of hell. You are meant to be men after the heart of God and him alone. You were meant to, what I tell people, I said, if you want to know the power of God, put yourself in a place where if he doesn't answer your prayers, you're dead. <laughs> and right there, you'll discover the magnificence of the Almighty. Well, when I was reading in George Mueller Bristol, here's what he said. In an address given to ministers and workers after his 90th birthday, George Mueller spoke thus of himself. I was converted in November of 1825 but I only came into the full surrender of my heart in July of 1829. That was four years later. And some of us have been converted. I knew that experience. It'd be five years later for the whole surrender. I let God have his way. No more arguments with me. No more yeah buts. No more ifs. No more questioning. The full surrender. And here's what he did. The love of money was gone. The love of place was gone. 
The love of position was gone. The love of worldly pleasures was, and engagements was gone. God and God alone became my portion. I found my all in Him. I wanted nothing else. And by the grace of God, this has remained and has made me a happy man, an exceedingly happy man. And it led me to care only about the things of God. I ask affectionately, my beloved brethren, have you fully surrendered your heart to God or is there this thing or that thing which is taking the place of a full surrender, irrespective of what God is trying to do? He said, I, le- I read a little of the Scriptures before, but I actually preferred other books about the Scriptures. But since that time of the revelation he made of himself to me, he has become unspeakably blessed to me. And I can say from my heart, God is an infinitely lovely being. God is an infinitely lovely being. Be not, men of God, he goes this way, beautiful. Be not satisfied until your innermost soul, you can say, God is an infinitely lovely being. There's no one like him. See the word of God in the kingdom. We're going to talk about this righteousness. I want to take you to it. I think about the righteousness. I, I used to ask the Lord, after the resurrection and the wonders of all that you did, why did you have to stay on the earth? Why did you stay on the earth 40 days? What was the purpose of that? I mean, why? You proved yourself you were alive. You did all that, but what was that? And I want to I read something to you. It's an, if you have your Bibles, you can look in Acts 1, okay? Acts chapter 1. In verse 3, after his suffering, Christ... He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared, appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and what does it say? And he spoke about the kingdom of God. How important is the kingdom of God to Christ? He stayed 40 days to teach his disciples. It is righteousness, it is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and this is what's going to happen to you. When the Holy Spirit anoints you, he's going to come. I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until he comes. And when he comes, he will anoint you with righteousness, peace, and joy. And in that way, you will serve the Father and give great glory to him. And don't you move until that takes place. Now, in Luke, he begins to tell us about this. He tells us how in the world, how, did, how does this go? When he was talking to them, in Luke, he would say, let me compare the kingdom of God. What can I tell you about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like a woman putting yeast into dough. Do you know what that is? <laughs> How do you put yeast into dough? Well, I have a baker here. He could come up and tell me. He's going to sing to you in a minute anyway. But I... Uh, how do you, you get that yeast, that Fleshman's, remember it used to be in Yellow Deals, and you get it in there and you work it in 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 and you work it and you work it and it's, the dough is dead. And you get that yeast into it till it works all through the dough. Will that dough ever be the same? No. It was dead dough. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. A dead man can't do diddly squat. You can look like a handsome dead man, but you're still dead. You can't prove yourself to God. You're dead. And in that condition, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He comes in and he works his kingdom. He anoints. He awakens you. I have a gift of faith for you. Are you ready to receive something? I have a gift for you, dead man. I have a gift for you. Do you understand? There is no good in you. You are dead. You are deader than dead. The greatest gift you could ever give is like a leper's 
pus rag. Bad omen. And he awakens you, and now he begins to do this. I'm going to take my kingdom, and I'm going to work it into you, and I'm going to work it, and you will never be the same. You will never be. And if you look at the apostles and you look at Peter, on that day, he's the one that preached, did he not? And yet many mistakes along the journey through life, and God kept working the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I want to give you, because I have, our time is limited actually tonight, I, have, I want to tell you about this righteousness. What in the world is this righteousness? The prayer of a righteous man. Righteousness is the absolute deliverance from your guilt over your sin. All of them. Before you were born, 1,900 years ago, before I was born, 1,900 years before I was born, all my sins were taken care of in Christ Jesus. They were done. They were over. And when the kindness of God, when I'm in this body, I live in a tent that has sin in it. He says, I'm going to promise you something, Gus. This carcass you live in is not going to inherit eternal life. Don't be worried about it. I got another one for you, another tent. I'll give you another tent later on. You take this tent and offer it every day to the glory of my name. I want you to experience to have power over your own sinful nature. I want you to know that I gave it to you. That's the beauty of the holiness, the righteousness of God. It's a cleanness. It's a transparency. There's no shame in it anymore. All of a sudden, oh, now I'm getting it, Father. You're causing all that junk of my life. As Jared said, crap of my life. Poor John Crapper. You know, just ruined that guy's name. And and we've taken all of that. And he he says, I've dealt with it. And so all of a sudden, I'm clean all the time. I can repent. I can repent as an act of worship. It's an unmarred condition. Do you know that you're unmarred? Do you know that you, yes, you have sinned. Some of you maybe got a hang-up. You've, you've dug a trench in your life, and it's a sinful trench. You say, I won't go there again, and next thing, bloop, you fall back in. Maybe it's pornography. It's immorality. Maybe it's an anger problem. Man, I had an anger problem. I had a real anger issue. I'm a nice guy until you press my button. And then I realized I was wearing a button suit. <laughs> okay? I mean, I came out of the United States Marine Corps. I was in a whole lot of combat. And I wanted to it. I mean, I, was, I used to love it. I'm going to tell you, I was made to kill people. And that's what I did. I said, war is killing people. It's a horrible place. And I was made for war. I couldn't. I, I was so stupid growing up. When I was three years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a United States Marine. What do you want to do? I want to go to war. Do you have any fears? Yes. I'm afraid when I grow up, all the wars will be over. You think how stupid I was? You look at this. Men of God, if righteousness can change a man like me, if righteousness, I mean, my wife, she married a reprobate. Good grief. I, I, I look back at these days, and I, I didn't understand how to, I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know how to change. I didn't go to church. I, I go in the Marine Corps. I'm in all of this, and I come back, and I thought, when I discovered this faith, when I discovered a faith that made me righteous, it brought something into my life that was so beautiful. It brought a peace to me that I had never known. I never could have happened. All I had to do was let it happen. I believed God and I let it happen. I stopped fighting. I stopped being afraid. I didn't even know I was afraid. You know the scripture, I'll talk about it tomorrow night, about God wants men everywhere to be in prayer, lifting up holy hands. 
Man, if you think I was going to lift my hands back then, you're a nutcase. You know, there was no way. I would, I would, we would sing songs and be talking about singing, singing with our hands lifted to the Lord, and I was either like this or my hands were in my pocket. And you watch when we sing it tomorrow. Jared leaves us with something with our hands in the air. You watch how many of you are like this or your hands in your pocket. Okay? Lift your hands. All of a sudden, I was unafraid, and peace came into my life. And I found out that peace, do you know what it is? It's harmony. And I, I love this term. Harmony is a sympathetic vibrations in a natural harmonic series. Boy, didn't that help you? Huh? Now, for, for Jared, it's no, he doesn't have a problem with this. He understands exactly what that is. We have a beautiful young lady in our church leading stuff, and I talked about this. I said, you know, I, I looked at this harmony and this sympathy. And she said, well, let me tell you this. And she opens the piano, and she says, in every fifth, every fifth chord here, you, these strings are in here, and they're in, they're in sympathetic harmony. I said, what? And here's what she did. She hits one just one, and five over started, it started vibrating. It was like, what? what? You know, I'm, I'm looking at a biblical process here. <laughs> what? The peace of God means this, do you? And I'm, t- I'm preaching to her, do you know that the peace of God means this? And she goes, okay, and she said, that's why we have dampers on them. Boom, we gotta stop some of that stuff. Oh. I said, that's why your sin. Your sin stopped the peace. I said, what's vibrating in me? The very beauty of the peace of Christ. He vibrates in me. He wants me to praise him in every moment. Whatever you drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. And in that vibration, there is no fear. There is a transparency. There is unbelievable moments of your life. And we're, we're so afraid of what someone else is going to look at or look at me. Or what are they going to think? How's it going to happen? And I began to think, oh, men of God, oh, men of God. Let's start vibrating with the Holy Spirit. Let him have his way. The, the, the writer of Luke, well, he says simply, Christ said then, how much more will I give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? He's already given you all the Holy Spirit. Let him have his way. Let him have his way in your will. Surrender your will. The whole thing. Not a yeah but one. No more yeah buts. No more but onlys. Nothing. Surrender your desires. Surrender your being. Take this body, Lord, and do whatever you want with me, and I will call it good. Amen? This is the glory of God. This is righteousness. This is the prayer of a righteous man. That man, he walks into a room, and I've had so many weird things happen to me in my journey. I mean, I'm living for the Lord. I've seen... I've seen skies clear, and I don't, I'm not trying to clear the sky. I just believe God for certain things. And my last one that was the weirdest thing that ever happened to me, I've been going to Ethiopia for years. I went there under communism. and uh, Anyway, now, that's another story how I got there. But, and the State Department, <laughs> State Department, when I was going in 89, they said, don't go to Ethiopia. I got this letter. Don't go to Ethiopia. Can't guarantee you safety. Can't get you out of there. Not. And I wrote the State Department back, and I said, it's okay. I'm taking my wife with me. <laughs> <laughs> And I got all these, I could have got so many funny stories, but I can tell you, we saw tens of thousands, all kinds of things. But just a couple of years ago, it's now three or four years ago, I'm over there. I know all these people now, tens of thousands of them. And this man, Kurse, is preaching. And when they use my name, they say, Guse Bese, Guse Bese, Guse Bese. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, what are they saying about me? What are they saying about me? And I'm with my friend, Wurke Gole. And I said, what's he saying? He's just like, he's frozen. And all of a sudden, he says, he's, I said, what are they saying? He's saying, 
Courtesy is telling all of the leaders here, it's important to have children in Ethiopia. And when you're married, you want to have children. It's honor to God. It's praise to God. And he's saying to all of you leaders here, if, you, if, you, if you've been married 8 to 12 years and you cannot have children, you come forward today. Gus will pray for you, and you will all have children next year. And I said, he said, what? And before I could blink, this is no joke, I mean, I had over 100 people on the ground in front of me, weeping and wailing. They cried so hard, the cement went wet. Then the husbands were there, and I'm touching, I said, Father, you said be ready in season, out of season. This is way out of season. <laughs> and I'm, 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 I said, I thank you for this child. I thank you for these sons and daughters who are going to be born to these leaders. I thank you for the holiness of Christ. Father, they will praise your name. And then I go every two years, so they said, no, you got to come back next year and see all the babies. <laughs> I went back the next year, there was 98 babies. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you, men of God, now by, you know, I don't expect by God's grace to ever do that again. I don't, I don't know why God did that to me, except for joy. What I'm trying to tell you is, men of God, there's more to God than you're allowing the prayer of a righteous man. Surrender your will. Surrender your heart. Let the peace of Christ vibrate within you. Quit fighting. The emotions you have, the things that irritate you, if you keep that emotion, it will take you to a place you do not want to go. It'll destroy marriages. It's destroyed relationships. It's taken men into sinful ways of pornography. Our pornography today is so sick. It's so retarded. It's so bad. It's strangling us. And just surrender it. Guys, God does not condemn. He just says, get it. it the chain, you know, we were singing about the chain tonight. And I thought, I, Gary and I were talking, and we're talking about the chains. Remember, we were singing about it? I said, dudes, drop it. You don't have to carry a chain. Christ broke the chain. Christ broke the power of sin. There is, I mean, you can't break the power. You stand in the presence of, I stand under the authority of Jesus the Christ. I'm standing here in the presence of God in the name of Jesus the Christ. I come to the blessing and I will pray for you in the name of Jesus the Christ and it will be done. God has anointed every pastor here, every man here. You were meant to shake the gates of hell. What, what darkness can overcome light? I was out elk hunting out, out in, by Pendleton in the Chesnimitz area. I was a bow hunter. And I used to have these shirts when I lived up here called Alcoholic. <laughs> and I remember when I was out with my buddies and I said to them, I went and I said, I got to go do an experiment. And this is how stupid I am. I don't take anything else with me, but I took one match. And I, I went out into the dark. You know how dark it gets out there by Hell's Canyon. And I walked way down into this gully I'd been in the, the, night, the day before. And man, when you go down there at night and you're in the dark and you hear all these things going on, there's animals, there's going, there's, you know, the dudes are out there doing something. I don't know what they're doing. And, and all of a sudden I hear all this noise and I, I felt really nervous, you know, and I thought, no, you know, I, I know hand-to-hand combat, I can kill this, you know, <laughs> unless, unless it's a mountain lion. And I, and I get down there and I went down for a purpose. That I wanted God to teach me something. It was so dark down in that gully, I was stumbling I was with my feet. And I could, I could, my hand had to get this close before I could see my hand. And I took one wooden match with me and I struck it and I lit the match and I held it up like this. And you would not believe what I could see. 
you would not believe that little light, how far it went, and the impact it made on that darkness. And I mean, the darkness backed off, and then, of course, it went out. <laughs> and brain dead stupid, I didn't even have a flashlight. I stumbled back out of there. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you, men, tonight, you're going to have some times to open the eternal breath. In righteousness, God has declared you righteous. Now listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have called upon the name of the Lord, if you have taken his sacrifice as your sacrifice, he declares you are righteous. If you are righteous, let's start declaring it. If there's a sin that's been wasted in your face, it's over today. It's not tomorrow. You don't have to be embarrassed about it, it's done. This shackle is thrown off. It was thrown off by Christ. See, this righteousness, this gospel, this righteousness that is revealed by God in this gospel of Christ, from first to last is by faith. I must believe God. He's taken the kingdom. He's worked it into my soul, into the fiber of my being. This is what I am. I'll give you one last story about righteousness. I, I wasn't raised in a Christian family. Over time, God would let save my family, save my sister, save my, I led my mom and dad, my sis, my, my dad, my grandparents, the Lord. My grandparents, my, they died, and, on, and of course, my grandpa in Hawaii, he was sick, and on my way back, I looked, and I, and I, I flew over there, and before I got there, he was already gone into eternity, and I did his funeral, and it was the second funeral I'd ever done. My first funeral was my grandpa Bess, and that was in September of 77, and my grandpa stayed in uh, January of 78, and on my way back, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I, I really miss my grandpa, I just love that man, he was gentle, and he got saved the day I graduated from school. He said, I came to watch you graduate because I want to know the Jesus you know. And right there in my mom's kitchen, he came to Christ. Two and a half years later, and you want, you want this, you want your kids to know the Jesus you know. You want your family and your wife to know the Jesus you know. You want your co-workers to know the Jesus you know. They're going to be attracted to you, righteous man. They're going to be attracted to you, I promise. They're going to be attracted, if you'll let it be. Anyway, I'm on my way back, and, and I finally land in L.A., and I'm, I'm living in Phoenix at the time, pastoring over there. And the, uh, I get on the plane, and wouldn't you know, I'm on a Continental Airlines 727, and they put me right against the bulkhead and the back against the head. And right there's some old man sitting by the window. And I'm, as I'm walking back, I think, I don't care if he goes to hell. I don't want to talk to him. And he was an old man, all frown on his face. You know, he's probably 55, you know. <laughs> when you're 30, that's like dirt, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm way past that now, but, but anyway, I sit down, and I'm not going to tell him I'm a pastor. I'm not doing nothing. And the plane starts backing off, and I see a peripheral vision. He turns his head like this, and he says, what do you do? And I, I said, oh, I teach. I do marriage conferences, youth conferences, and I went on and on. By this time, the taxi's out, we're in the air. We're taking off. We're lifting off the ground, headed over the Pacific Ocean, and then they bank and turn around. And as we're lifting up, he says, I said, oh, and I speak at churches. And he says, oh, you're one of those. And I turned to this guy, and I went just like this. I said, no, I'm not one of those. I'm a man that ought to go to hell. If God is just, he ought to send me to hell. And then I look forward. And he turns to me and he says, well, I don't believe in hell. So I turned to him and I said, that's not going to change diddly squat when you get there. <laughs> now, now, this was the fun of God. 
The plane exploded as soon as I said that. I'm not kidding you. We crashed land, caught fire out the whole nine yards. As soon as I said, that's not going to change. They just go out when you get there. Boom! And the plane, when you're doing that, all of a sudden goes like this. And all the lights went out. Then the plane went back like this. Lights were on. Whoa! And then boom! Like, whoa, whoa! And it's black and on and black and on. And then wee, wee, wee. Captain goes, we've had a major malfunction. <laughs> we, we are going to crash land in LAX in 15 minutes. I'm thinking, man, let's get us down here. Anyway, obviously, and I remember when we were going down, that guy stuck to me like glue, and I said, I am not your savior. <laughs> now, I will let you know that man did come to Christ. <laughs> That's evangelism in a real way, you know. Men of God, I, I, I want, I'm just trying to prepare you for something. You came to this mountain not to come to just a a conference. You came here by the divine appointment of Almighty God to awaken to the righteousness of His Son that is now yours. It's no longer His. He gave it to you as a gift. He gave it to you. He gave it and it's now yours. And something is going to happen on this day. This mountaintop experience is supposed to be the holiness of the Almighty. So let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come as your sons before you in the beauty of Jesus the Christ. We come as he is our sacrifice. And Father, these are your sons. These are your men. Holy Spirit, fall upon them and anoint them and cleanse them from every foul thing that's ever been done or ever would be done. Let them know the power of your love and your grace and your goodness. Enrich their lives. Let joy unspeakable be theirs. Let them rise up as men of God. Let them testify as to who they are in Jesus Christ. These are your men, Father, and I present them before you in the love of Jesus the Christ. Amen.